Support for NPR comes from ADP. Say you're in HR and a solar flare adds an extra hour to each day. How would this impact business? ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to help your business take on the next anything. ADP, always designing for people. A warning, this episode contains mention of sexual assault. So depending on how you grew up, the sex education you received in school might have been lacking or even non-existent. But Netflix's hit series Sex Education is a refreshing and frank coming-of-age story about modern teens learning about their bodies and themselves in awkward, relatable ways. In the final season, amateur sex therapist Otis and his friends juggle academic life and young adulthood. There are plenty of hookups, of course, but also friendships are tested, familial ties are strained, and new relationships are formed. I'm Ayesha Harris, and today we're talking about sex education on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Joining me today is podcast producer and film and culture critic Kate Young. Hey, Kate. Hi, thanks for having me back. Also with us is New York Times food reporter and author of the best-selling cookbook, Indianish, Priya Krishna. Hey, Priya. Hi. And rounding out the panel is Jeffrey Masters. He's the host of the podcast LGBTQNA. I love that name. And senior producer at the New Yorker Radio Hour. Hey, Jeffrey. Hey, everybody. I'm excited for this. Yes, this is going to be so much fun. So let's just get right into it. Sex Education stars Asa Butterfield as Otis, an awkward teen living in a fictional small town in the United Kingdom with his single mom, Jean, who's a prominent sex therapist. She's played by Gillian Anderson. Otis follows in Jean's footsteps by doling out dating advice to his classmates, which unsurprisingly poses both ethical and interpersonal dilemmas for him throughout the series. Now, in the show's fourth and final season, Otis and most of his classmates begin the academic year at a new school after their old one is shut down. As he adjusts to the extremely progressive Cavendish Sixth Form College, he attempts to maintain a long-distance relationship with Maeve, who's played by Emma Mackey. Maeve is now in a writing program at an American university. Meanwhile, Otis's gay best friend Eric, played by Shuti Gatwa, befriends the cool and queer crowd at Cavendish and confronts homophobia within his own religious community. Sex Education was created by Lori Nunn and is streaming on Netflix now. And just a quick warning, we're going to be talking about the final season pretty much in depth. We won't get into too much spoilery territory, but we will definitely be talking about some details. So if you want to go in completely cold, watch the whole season first and then come back to us. So I want to start with you, Kate. I know that you've been a fan of this show pretty much from the beginning or for quite some time now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how did this fourth season really play for you? Did it feel like a satisfying way to conclude this series? It really did. You know, I'm... (laughs) I'm a big crier, so it's no surprise that I cried several times watching this. <laughs> but I really enjoyed how much these characters feel like they had grown since we first met them. You know, they are teenagers. We expect them to do silly things and make not-so-smart decisions. But these characters have a level of emotional intelligence that I desperately wish I had at that age. Mm. And it's so satisfying to watch them go through the same kinds of experiences that you would expect for a teenager, but to approach them with a level of maturity that, frankly, would make everyone's lives better if we all were able to do that. They understand that being decent to people and the effort to be decent to people is worth it. Mm -hmm. They use that as, you know, the guiding light for how they move through the world. And it doesn't mean that there aren't any conflicts, but it does mean that when people 
make mistakes, they apologize for them, they own up to them. And it's just so refreshing to see, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I think, are we all here millennials or slightly older than Gen Z? Does that, is that yeah. accurate? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I feel like this is something I've experienced, and I'm sure you have too, where these sort of young adult shows made in the now era, the kids tend to be way more just self-aware and mm-hmm nice to each other than I think a lot of the shows we were maybe consuming at that mm-hmm. age or around that age were. I don't know if that's true for you, but it definitely feels true yeah. for me as well. Um, Priya, how about you? How does this fourth season play for you? And and what is your sort of relationship with the show from the beginning? My father was obsessed with John Hughes movies. And <laughs> so I, I watched a lot of John Hughes movies. And I think my first reaction to sex education was like, oh, my God, it's like a John Hughes movie, but everyone's not white and straight and there are fewer (laughs) racist stereotypes. (laughs) So, you know, I have always had such a soft spot for this show. I totally agree. It's like it shows a version of high school that makes me think like, well, if high school were like this, maybe I wouldn't have hated it so much. Yeah. Yeah. I really love that it has become like a true ensemble show. I think that was a really smart choice on the part of the showrunners to make it like starting as a show about Otis and about Maeve. And really, I think as the season progressed, we got to know a lot more about Eric and Adam. And in this season in particular, I'm really enjoying the storylines of Vivian, who is like low-key my favorite character on the show I was totally a Vivian in high school (laughs) and Amy and even like Ruby. I love that she is so unapologetic about who she is. I feel like this show does right by all of its characters. I feel like when you have a big ensemble comedy, some characters storylines get privileged over others. I think the only person whose storyline I'm really not as invested in is Otis's mother's, which is such a shame because I like have loved her throughout the entire show. And I feel like that narrative is so important and so valid. I'm so glad that they have it in there, but I watched the show not for that narrative. I watched the show (laughs) for the narratives of the kids. But like, I don't know, like just the like lovely, colorful, inclusive world in the burbs of England that is just a delight to watch. And I'm just as delighted by this season. And it's been really cool to watch the show progress and I think get better with yeah. each season. Yeah. Jean, the Jillian Anderson character, Otis's mom is is definitely, I, I thought it was interesting merely because how often do we see an older woman as happened in the, the previous season, Jean winds up pregnant and the, the father of her child, we don't know who it is. And she's now dealing with postpartum depression mm-hmm. Yeah, I I found it interesting too, but I do think that the meat of it, like you said, Priya, is really the kids. Jeffrey, is there any character or storyline that really resonated for you this season? I mean, I agree with a lot of this. I'm really charmed by the character Amy, played by Amy Lou Wood. Yes, Um, oh my God. So many shows um, have something traumatic happen to the character, right? And then they like kind of forget about it. She had this experience of sexual assault and now uh, two seasons later, she's like, grappling with it. I think that's like so amazing to see. And then that actress, her performance. There's like one scene where the, the character's telling her, um, you know, you're a maverick. When I got sad as a kid, I'd bury all my mom's jewelry in the garden so she couldn't find it. She's probably still there, actually. Yeah. You're a maverick. What does that mean? 
It means that you don't think like other people. I thought that was being stupid. No, no, no. It means that you're your own person. You're, you're saying, like, I'm just like a unique person? And it was so mm-hmm. subtle in her performance, just like really wowed me. Completely agree. Yeah, yeah. The idea that, you know, trauma is often used as sort of just like a nice plot point to maybe last a couple episodes and then we just forget about it. And I yeah. think the fact that this has been part of that character's journey for most of this series now, or much of the series now, I think is really impressive. And had this been, you know, a show created, 15, 20 years earlier, I don't think it would have been mm. quite as thoughtful or enlightened about how those things really resonate, especially when you're that young, when it happens to you. Mm-hmm. And the show gives you high and low so well. So like mm-hmm. she's dealing with this emotional thing and she's on what she calls her healing journey. And her journal has the words written on it, my healing journey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I love those like wigs. It's so funny. She's so cute. Yes, yes. yes. I mean, it's interesting to me because when I think about a show like this, we've talked so much about how it is very thoughtful and progressive in many ways. But like there's a world where this could also, and I think depending on, you know, your mileage may vary, but like there's a world where you could also conceive this as like, is this too much? Like, are we trying to cram too many different types of issues and things? Like I wondered that sometimes while watching the fourth season because we're not just talking about sexual assault or about postpartum depression, but there's also homophobia and religion with Eric's character. And you've got also disability being thrown into it. And how do you feel about the way the show sort of has juggled and is especially in season four is juggling all these different storylines? Do you think there's any one that felt given more of the short stick or just wasn't quite as fulfilling? Or does it feel like it's managed to really walk that balance in a way that you find interesting? I think for the most part, the show handles these things really well. I think especially for its queer characters, it is extremely kind and sympathetic and careful with them. And I really appreciated that and it it really resonated for me. But I do think that it fails its disabled characters just a tiny bit. Mm. We have this character, Isaac, who Amy is having this budding relationship with, and he is a wheelchair user. And one of the kind of running plot points of the season is that the elevator in the school doesn't work. And so we can't get to his classes. And we end up getting, I think, a satisfying resolution to that storyline. But it is something that doesn't happen until the finale. And it is something that mostly only lives within the confines of him and maybe one other character. Mm. And we don't really get to explore what an experience is like for them. I think what I did like about how that resolved is that by the time we got to what happens, essentially everything that I had been saying as the story went through is what he vocalized at that point. Yeah, And so it was clear to me that that was intentional as opposed to something they threw in because they forgot they have another thing that they need to be talking about. Um, so it was satisfying, but I wish that they had been able to find a better way to incorporate it into the story a little bit more significantly. I think what Kate said is such a great point. But like what works for me is that like there's a person in a wheelchair, but they're not the only person with a disability on the show. Mm-hmm. One of the newer characters for this season is Alexandra James. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Alexandra James plays the character Aisha on the show. She is deaf. She's queer in the show, at least. She's poly. She's black. 
And she's like one of the like hottest and most confident girls in school. So like they give, she's so fun. yeah, they give these characters like three dimensional lives in a way that works for me. So when they are throwing a lot of these like social issues at the wall, I find that mm-hmm. they do it well. And so like this liberal schools, is like safe space for all queer and trans people, but it fails its people with disabilities. And I think that's very realistic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also just find the normalization of people with different lived experiences to have always been a strength of the show. You know, oftentimes you see a new season and it's like, oh, they've brought in a disabled character. They've brought in a black character. And it sort of feels Mm -hmm. like a very like, oh, this is their attempt to like try to add some level of diversity Mm -hmm. to the show. And on Mm -hmm. sex education, I feel like as someone who's like very sensitive to that, I have not felt that. I've felt like they're bringing this person in because they're like, this is a really interesting character and a character with a lot of different dimensions. Mm -hmm. And the world is full of people with different lived experiences. Therefore, our show should be filled with people with different lived experiences. Yeah. I think one of my favorite parts, actually, when we have that moment where Isaac is voicing this to the higher ups and he's just frustrated, it at first felt very like, oh, my God, this is straight out of PSA or something where everyone's grandstanding (laughs) Mm -hmm. and each person with a disability is saying, like, this is really frustrating. And then, like, we have this one moment that just, like, made me laugh out loud. (laughs) And I want to play a little bit of that moment. I wish people understood that our problems come from barriers in society, not from our disabilities. Who is that? I'm not sure. I've never seen him before. I don't think he goes here. I'm just very passionate. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, hello, Mean Girls reference. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Like, I thought that was really fun. Like, Mm -hmm. it kind of makes it not feel as saccharine as it could have been. Mm -hmm. And I really like that. I think that goes back to Jeffrey's point of like, they're making a really serious point, but they never take themselves seriously. It's like the secret sauce Mm -hmm. of the show. Yeah. There's one of the girls in the school had like a baby carriage and in the baby carriage was like an aloe plant. I'm like, these are like (laughs) writers who are in on the joke. Every gay person can relate to that, obviously. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But when the show does get a little bit too like, heavy handed with that stuff. I also just don't care because I like the character so much. Mm-hmm. The storytelling yeah. is so good. Yeah. And so it doesn't feel just like the issue of the week to me. This show stands out to me because it also gives every character like sexual agency, like the queer characters, the trans characters, the people with disabilities, the like different like body types that Hollywood usually ignores. Like we see them having sexual desire and also being desired. Like that's not mm-hmm. something that we've like really mm-hmm. seen in these shows. And I really appreciate that. I really specifically wanted to shout out Cal and Vivian's storylines this season. Yeah, and it's it's probably worth noting that Cal is played by Dua Soleil and Vivian, or Viv, as she's also called, is played by Chenya Ezidu. Yeah, they both go through some significant journeys. Um, Cal especially is dealing with their heightened gender dysphoria and their ability to continue moving through a world that doesn't really cater to their ability to do that. Where their story ends up is it's a little sad, but it's also realistic in that it gives them a way to understand themselves and also have their family understand them better as well as their friends. Mm -hmm. And with Vivian, her storyline is, in a way, I'm a little upset about it in the sense that I wanted her to have a happier ending. But I also think that the ending that she does have is happy and she goes on this journey of 
dealing with desirability and abuse that is wonderfully handled, that intersects with Amy's own story. It's so interesting and mature. And I love that part of what this show does is essentially act as a script for actual teenagers for how to deal with conversations mm-hmm. like this. Yeah. Like I wouldn't have known how to deal with that, you know, and yeah. unfortunately it is something that I did deal with and it, it didn't go well. But if I had had something like this, I would have known how to approach something, how to tell people about what was happening to me. And yeah. I really love that the show is able to cover all of the experiences of teenage life and not just the basic ones like being gay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so helpful that all of Vivian's friends were supportive. I mean, everyone mm-hmm. on this show is very supportive. Even, even if it takes a little like having a moment where you have to pull someone aside, at the end of the day, they have that support system. And I think that's so lovely to see. I, I mean, we haven't really talked about Eric and Otis, who were kind of from the beginning, the main characters in a way, or the main protagonists we were following. And their friendship has been really interesting to watch this season because, you know, Otis as dealing with his own stuff and in, in a weird competition with a competing sex therapist who's now mm-hmm. at this school, um, who is, uh, oh, who's played by Thaddea Graham. And that's all fun. And then he's also dealing with his mom and the new baby being around and Maeve. But then Eric has his own stuff going on mm-hmm. and they come to a head in a way that I have not really seen a black and a white character who are supposedly best friends acknowledge that, like, they don't really talk about their differences. There's parts of my life that you don't really understand. Like what? The fact that I'm a Christian or the fact that my family doesn't have as much money as yours. Or we don't talk about race, for example. Like, I'm just, I guess I'm just trying to say that we're very different and we don't really talk about it. One of the things I've always really liked about their friendship is that Obviously, Eric is gay and Otis is straight, but they've always had a friendship in which Otis has always been a full and willing participant in the kinds of queer experiences that Eric wants to have. But as he mentions in this season, you know, he doesn't really have a queer community and didn't have one until he came to the school. And when he essentially tells Otis that and says, you know, there are things that you just don't understand about my life and you also don't ask. Eric is able to vocalize that pretty clearly, and Otis's reaction is not great. But why are you blaming me for that? I'm not blaming you. I'm just trying to say how I feel. And you could love somebody and still have these, like, blind spots. And the show, mm-hmm. like, embraced that for me, too. Yeah, absolutely. And, and also, like, it would have been so easy for this show to give Otis all these lines about, like, Oh, like he like he puts on eyeliner for his gay best friend because he like wants mm-hmm, to support yeah. him, but he's not making mm-hmm. references like, but I am straight, I promise. He's not like asserting mm-hmm. his heterosexuality. And I thought that was really <laughs> yeah. good because like five years ago they would have been like letting people know, like, no, really, 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 he likes girls, I promise. <laughs> it's the not gay song from Pop Star Never Stop, Never Stop. <laughs> it's like not gay. It's like, yeah. Yeah, I think we were calling it like heterosexual insurance before in a couple mm. other shows. Um, and yeah, that doesn't happen with this. Yeah. Otis really loves Eric, but as Eric points out in that particular episode, he cares about him, but Otis also privileges his own experience over Eric's. Mm -hmm. And he does not make time to acknowledge that the things that Eric is going through are also as important and as monumental to him as his issues are to himself. Part of the joy of their relationship had kind of always been that they are so opposite because they're not the kind of characters that you would necessarily put together 
But you do, and we have them, and they have this wonderful friendship, and it's lovely. I mean, there's an early scene at the beginning of this season where Otis is a little jealous of one of Maeve's new friends, and he shows the pictures to Eric, and Eric's reaction is so much fun. Oh my God, he is hot! And so are you, in a quiet and soft, intelligent way. Okay. Yeah. There's no competition. Who cares about ripped bodies? Really? No, can I say that one more time? And so (laughs) fantastic. And it's the kind of thing that you wouldn't get if you weren't putting characters like that together. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it shows a level of maturity that they are both pushing themselves and their own identities and figuring out what that means as they get older. I mean, to be honest, many adults who are friends with someone who has different experiences than them do not have those conversations in yeah. the duration of their friendship. Seriously. I was literally watching that being like, that is yeah. that is a mature. <laughs> yes. It also shows that, yes, it's great to see them together, but also like after a while, if you, especially if you are different, you find other people who might understand your experiences more than some of your other friends and what what it's like to sort of try and mm-hmm. juggle that you know there's nothing wrong with having friends who you can talk to about certain things and not other things and the way the show goes on that journey is just so realistic like some of the conversations that the characters have with each other just feel taken from everyday conversation mm-hmm. and i feel like relationships are complicated relationships between characters of different races characters of different sexual orientations mm-hmm. are complicated And there is a black and white or like binary way you could approach those relationships on television, which is how they've been approached for years. Or there is like a more complicated and nuanced way you could approach those relationships. And I feel like the show has always tried to approach those relationships with a ton of nuance and never goes for like the, I don't want to say the easy way out, but like the kind of plot that we have seen before that would tied up with a neat like color of friendship style bow. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, I feel like it's safe to say that this is a show that lands in a really interesting moment where we're having a lot of different TV and movies that are really exploring what it means to be a young person in interesting ways and more enlightened ways. Um, Especially like this paired with Never Have I Ever, I think in many ways is very, you know, they've got some similar vibes going on there. And of course, we could talk about this forever because there were so many characters and so many new characters we didn't even get the chance to talk about. But... We don't have time for that. So <laughs> you should tell us what you think about sex education. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH. And up next, we're going to be talking about what's making us happy this week. Okay, close your eyes for a second. Now imagine you're on your dream vacation. No work calls to answer, no text messages to respond to, just your suitcase and an opportunity. The opportunity to just take yourself out of your routine and travel deeper how to actually take that dream trip. That's on the Life Kit Podcast from NPR. Listen to Embedded for moments that stay with you. I could smell the smoke. I could smell the dust. Voices that resonate. <laughs> stories that change the way you think about your life. How, how did we get here? The Embedded Podcast is NPR's home for original documentary series. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Why is everyone so obsessed with traditional wives or trad wives on social media? 
This week, we're talking about the viral videos of women making marshmallows and mozzarella from scratch, and how behind the sheen of calm kitchens and cute fits, there's some interesting pessimism about our modern world. And that's worth digging into. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR. For the seventh year on the Code Switch podcast, conversations about race and identity go way beyond the day's headlines. Because we know what's part of every person is part of every story. We're bringing that perspective with new episodes every week. Listen on the Code Switch podcast from NPR. Now it's time for our favorite segment of this week and every week, what's making us happy. Kate, let's start with you. So I'm not about to tell you anything you don't know, but I recently rewatched Little Fires Everywhere on Hulu. Oh. And it turns out that show is even better than I remembered. <laughs> there are some exquisite performances in that show in a way that made me Google if they'd won any awards. You know, like, it it's so fantastic. It's such a lovely exploration of motherhood and grief. And there's so many ways in which it decides to engage with the idea of who is a mother, what do mothers do, what is a mother's role. Reese Witherspoon's character goes on quite the journey, I think, over uh-huh. the course of this season, as does Carrie Washington's. But you still end up feeling like, they've ended up exactly where they were meant to be. And I think that's really difficult to do. So that's Little Fires Everywhere, and it's streaming on Hulu. Thanks, Kate. Jeffrey, what is making you happy this week? Yeah, one of my favorite books of last year was The Town of Babylon by Alejandro Varela. It was one of these like underdog books that got nominated for a National Book Award. But mm-hmm. Alejandro Varela is the author. He has a new book out this year called The People Who Report More Stress. And it's short stories, and they're funny and, and sexy and, and sometimes heartbreaking. There's one about like a gay guy working at the UN, and he's, you know, like cruising in the bathrooms of the UN. And it's just like really <laughs> fantastic. So um, if, if you're looking for that like post-summer read, that's The People Who Report More Stress, and it's by Alejandro Varela. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jeffrey. Priya, what is making you happy this week? That sounds great, Jeffrey. I'm immediately going to look that up. <laughs> um, so... Over the pandemic, this really awesome food magazine came about. It's called For the Culture, and it's a food magazine that celebrates Black women and the Black women who sort of created the food industry. And it is done by this really fantastic food writer named Clancy Miller. And I was really delighted to see that Clancy has released an entire book called For the Culture. And it is like these absolutely stunning portraits that almost feel like aura photographs of like black women of all ages and what they're doing to change the food industry for the better. There's recipes, there's essays, there's beautiful profiles. It's just kind of the sort of book that makes you want to curl up and read it cover to cover. It's just like such a joyous celebration and Clancy's kind of the perfect person to be the voice behind it. So that is For the Culture by Clancy Miller. Thank you so much, Priya. I've definitely heard about that book and it sounds very, very cozy and fun. Thank you. So for me, Dreaming Whilst Black is a new Showtime series. It's a workplace comedy slash going through your late 20s, early 30s comedy. And it stars Johnny Salmon, who is the co-creator. And also you might recognize him as an actor on Doctor Who, Eve of the Daleks. But here he plays Kwabana, um, who is an aspiring filmmaker who's working this pretty unfulfilling job in recruitment. 
And it delves into some really interesting ideas and thoughts about what it means to be torn between art and commercialism and and drawing from your own personal life as an artist and how that might affect your own family and friends. And it's just kind of fun. The, the characters are all really just a pleasure to hang out with. And Ajani is just a really engaging protagonist. And I just really enjoyed it. So that's Dreaming Whilst Black. You can check it out on Showtime. And it's also streaming on Paramount+. Plus. And that's what's making me happy this week. If you want links for what we recommended, plus some more recommendations, you can sign up for our newsletter at npr.org slash newsletter. That brings us to the end of our show. And what a fun show this was. Kate yeah. Young, Priya Krishna, Jeffrey Masters. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for being here. It was a pleasure. I agree. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. This was great. Yeah. <laughs> this episode was produced by Liz Metzger and edited by Mike Katzev. Our supervising producer is Jessica Reedy, and Hello Come In provides our theme music. Thanks so much for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Aisha Harris, and we'll see you all next week. With NPR Plus, there's more to hear, like extended interviews with some of the experts we talk to at Planet Money and The Indicator. It's a mistake for economists to only think about economic efficiency when considering policies because you'll actually wind up with a worse outcome. And with NPR Plus, you help keep NPR going. Learn more at plus.npr.org.